Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb and as always I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, it feels like it's been a while, sir. How are you? We're back. <laughs> Hit that music. We're back. That that was the longest break that we've taken since we started. Now, I guess there's a little bit of a caveat there because there's been times where you or I haven't been on the pod, but this is the longest break from pod to pod that we've taken, yeah. no matter who's been a co-host or guest or anything. Yeah. No, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Missed you. Hope you're doing yeah. well. <laughs> Missed you too. I think, you know, we got a little, we got a little flack for our love giving each other flowers (laughs) so much on at the end of the last pod that maybe we just do that at the beginning of this pod get it out of the way just i didn't want to bury the lead um i knew that we were going to get to that at some point but i just wanted to get right to it um and tell you how much i missed you but it was a great week i know you were traveling i had some work obligations as well and a friday podcast is not (laughs) something we're accustomed to and it actually is funny because we had a we don't normally open the podcast with questions, but this was perfect. It was from Ryan Taylor at Godstrong007. He said, what is your prediction for the big piece of news that will come out immediately after you record the podcast? Dustin, recording on a Friday, there are Friday news dubs. So that you never know. <laughs> like, Yeah, we we almost had it happen. You and I talked about recording a little bit earlier and if we would have done that, we would have missed the 2024 running back commit who we'll get to later. So that would be uh, obviously knowing that now that would have been my guess, I guess. Well, I, I, I would have been right. But. It's kind of like we're I don't know. We're not cursed by any means, but it's strange how we record and the next day or sometimes like that night things break. And so then we're, you know, six days out, which like kind of leads us into this. We haven't discussed Spencer Sanders. We haven't discussed Brian Nardo yet. There's a lot that you and I have not talked about. And so we probably shouldn't belabor it. We should probably jump right into it uh, because there's a ton to get to. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's, it's sometimes we get you know, a little bit of notification that something is going to happen. So we'll allude to it on the podcast. We never, we never like to break news one, because we don't want to do that. And two, because sometimes our sources may give us wrong information. So yeah, on purpose, not, not completely yeah. accurate. Yeah. So the, the past couple of pods, it's been stuff kind of out of nowhere, especially, you know, with the Nardo news, you asked me, on a previous pod after I went through, you know, some of the guys that I thought maybe could be potential candidates, you said, do you think it would be any of these guys? And I said, no, it's probably going to be somebody completely off the wall that we've never heard of. And, and it was, so I'd like to very, very interesting, which we'll, which we'll get to soon. Hey, I, I brought you something here. It's, it's your flowers for being <laughs> spot on. It, and it did feel like if they didn't get a John Heacock, if they didn't get a Gary Patterson, this felt like what they were going to do, right? Like when we went through that list, it was like, I don't see the guy from, you know, San Diego state making that leap. I, it, it's kind of what I was getting at with the Manny Rojas 
right from Delaware. He's he's kind of a Hecox system guy. He's talked about that. I told you there's the athletic article about him going into that scheme. He he kind of reflects it around a little bit around Gillespie's scheme as well. So I was looking for a lower division guy who did that, who was a younger up and comer. That was my best guess at it. And it was a similar kind of person Gundy went with, just not that guy. So it, I I had a feeling it was going to be kind of in that realm if he wasn't able to pull away a Jim Knowles or a John Haycock. And well, I keep saying Heacock. I believe it's pronounced Haycock. I was doing that last podcast is it? too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I will get that wrong multiple times even <laughs> after you just told me that. I, I did that last I podcast. I almost think I'm just like, going to con- I'm just going to continue to get it wrong. I'm going to decide that it's Heacock. Um, but it's and doesn't it kind of make sense as to why they've been recruiting the way they've been recruiting if that was the system. Now now we know the Derek Mason thing was coming. Like Mike Gundy might have had this thought, okay, and we're I'm speculating here. If Derek Mason's gone, is this the time to revamp the scheme? Is this the time to try that Iowa State defense that he's been so fond of? And now it makes sense as to like the gaps that they've filled, maybe less coming in on the defensive tackle side of things because they don't need as many, which is just a, an interesting little nugget that maybe this was being written on the tea leaves and we just didn't notice it at the time. Uh, because now with Brian Nardo, who does run that three, three, five, which is going to be wild and still water. I'm excited for it. it. It starts to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And we'll do, I know we talked about doing a full, you and I thought this hire wouldn't come until after the February 1st signing day. So we were planning to do a full depth chart breakdown on this podcast, but due to the length of time between pods, all the news that came out, we're going to just focus on the defensive depth chart here. We actually got a question about it too. So when we talk Nardo at the end, we'll go through our defensive depth chart and then we can hit the offense probably next Wednesday when we record, but Kate, did you want to go ahead and get into just some of this general football news and then we can dive fully into the Nardo yeah, hire? That sounds good. So first up, just a little news that came out today. Jason Beatty offensive is going to come to Oklahoma state and be an offensive line graduate assistant. He played center at UCF. He was at Cincinnati as a graduate assistant. So some more offensive line coaching help, different perspective coming in the room. A guy that previous, previously played center can help out some guys like Preston Wilson, Joe Maholsky, Jacoby Sanders coming in. We've we've now heard from Robert Allen that Austin Kowecki has moved to the center position. So getting an offensive line GA to come in and help out, focusing on that center position and, and knowing the whole line as well, I think will be a big plus, especially, you know, with it looking like we're not going to move away from Charlie Dickey as offensive line coach, it'll be nice to get some new GAs, possibly even some new analysts in to kind of help figure out what went wrong in the past couple, mainly last year outside of the injuries and figure out how to correct that moving forward. Yeah. I like to hire a lot. And I think it's kind of this, uh, it shouldn't be understated because these GAs have a significant impact on the way things are done. They are so involved with the team, their their position group on a day-to-day basis. You look at guys like, you know, a Coy McFarland, for example, who made a name for himself at Oklahoma State while he was a graduate assistant. I get a similar vibe here with 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 this type of former player with his expertise being able to focus 
specifically kind of uh, on that center, but you know, he's going to have an impact on the entire offensive line, but his experience as a center, especially as Kowecki, you know, maybe a little bit surprisingly gets slotted into that center spot. I'm excited to see what happens because uh, Dustin, I mean, Preston Wilson at guard that that is happening, which is kind of wild. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens here. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but it's, as, what the, it's, it's, it's the, what's being said. I think it's crazy. As we but. move into the offensive depth chart, we can, we can talk more about that for sure. But uh, yeah, we've seen, we've seen that on Pokes report. I'll have to, I'll have to see that to believe it because right now I think Robert Allen's depth chart has Preston Wilson on the second string. So that's, that uh, oh, blows right. my mind. Okay. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure that's a story for another day. I could probably go. <laughs> No, we can probably go 30 minutes on that. So. I'll, I'll cut my part. I'll leave your part in. I'll cut my part. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay. Kate, along with that, we haven't got to talk about this yet, but it happened quite a while ago. We won't spend too much time on it since it was so long ago, but Spencer Sanders to Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's fine. I'm glad it worked out for him. I was uh, of the belief at one point that he was going to, not have anywhere to go and that would have been a really sad ending um i don't think he deserved that i think there's a lot of oklahoma state fans like the breakup wasn't great uh and i i don't think there's a whole lot of love lost for spencer sanders and stillwater in the program i mean among the fan base and i i've worried that he was going to get lost in the shuffle like we've seen so many portal get, kids get lost in um, but he ends up at Ole Miss in a stacked quarterback room. So I don't know how much I love the fit. I don't know how much I love the system for him. Um, it's a it's a really, really curious landing spot. And it makes you wonder, like, what did Ole Miss have that Oklahoma State did not when he's going to join that, you know, kind of situation? It just kind of baffles me still. Yeah, and the the other interesting part about it, you you mentioned the quarterback room. So Walker Howard, former LSU quarterback, has transferred to Ole Miss, and then they still have Jackson Dart, who started twelve of thirteen games a season, threw for almost three thousand yards, twenty touchdowns, eleven picks, and rushed for six hundred as well. So Dart didn't have that bad of a season. You seen some things on the Ole Miss message boards about maybe Dart entering the transfer portal in that May time period, but. Who knows if that's true. As of now, he's coming in with both Dart and Howard, who he'll have to compete with. And you see a lot of these old misreports saying that Spencer Sanders is going is enrolled in class already and is going to be at Ole Miss for the spring semester. According to several Oklahoma media, media outlets, I, I mean, I saw the quote on Polk's report as well. He's currently enrolled in seven hours at OSU so he can get to Ole Miss at the end of the spring semester. So I believe he can, you know, still take that maybe online classes. He may already be in Oxford, but I don't think he can actually participate as a or be a practice participant and fully go through spring practice until he completes those seven hours. So if he's not able to fully get real reps with the Ole Miss offense until the summer, he's going to fall behind even farther in that QB competition. And who knows if he's even the starter at day one. I think he's talented enough to win that job over the two guys we just mentioned, but he's putting himself a little bit of a step behind not being able to fully start practicing until the summer. And that, I, I think that is one of the key reasons I don't get it. 
it, it's such a difficult um, avenue to to get something on film. I mean, and maybe there's too much. There's so much on film with him that it doesn't really matter. Like he's either going to get drafted or he's not going to get drafted. And and you know he's got four and a half years of of tape basically. So I could see how that doesn't matter at this point. But at the same time, he's an uber competitive dude. That makes sense to me. But from a pure like business perspective, it's a it's a loaded QB room and Oklahoma State, he was the guy. And if he just handles himself a little bit better out like on the way out, this this might have been a completely different ending. The other thing with that Cade too is going to that loaded up QB room, how short of a leash is he gonna have? If he has one kind of blow up game like we've seen him have these past couple of seasons oh. or, or throughout his career really at Oklahoma State. If you got Walker Howard and Jackson Dart stays, even if he wins the job, I'm assuming he's going to have a very short leash. And the other thing to consider is Spencer's been known to get banged up and not be, he's a very tough, very tough competitor, not be out for long periods of time. But if he gets knocked out and he has to miss a game and Dart or Howard comes in and lights it up, does he even get the job back? So it's, it's a tough spot to your point. I, a great point to, for you to call out at the beginning of this convo for multiple reasons it just seems like a tough spot to kind of go in and compete and really boost your film for the nfl yeah i mean you you think if he goes out and throws three first half picks against uh who's Ole Miss's rival at bama you think that you think that's going to go over well in oxford that may get him benched right there yeah like it didn't in stillwater but it might in oxford in year one so i hope the best for him um we we talked about it. I, I don't, if he would have gone, you know, in conference, it would have been, I, I don't want him to go do great, but you know, I don't want his career to just, you know, hit the, hit the concrete, so to speak. So um, it's, it's just a little sad the way it ended up. Yeah. And, and then if the other bad thing is if he does go out and dominate, which I think he's talented enough to have a good season at Ole Miss, if he were to win the job, then if he goes to the NFL, like like we talked about on previous podcast, in my opinion, a lot of people will remember him as Ole Miss quarterback Spencer Sanders as opposed to Oklahoma State quarterback if it's he just goes wild. and lights it up next season. And and that's just my, you and I's opinion. I, other people could see it differently. That's just how it feels when quarterbacks transfer that last year and kind of blow up at the spot and then go straight to the NFL. So It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like you said, I think he has the ability, the talent, and the experience overall at the college level to go in and win the Ole Miss job and have a really solid season. But it seems like an odd spot to end up and odd the timing of it and how it all played out. Well, and Ole Miss is is not really competing for a SEC title. I mean, they're in that kind of second to – you know, lower second tier of the, of the sec. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't get it. I, I still don't. So that, that's my final answer. I don't get it. <laughs> hey, the big, the biggest news, I think even bigger than that, since we were out uh, outside of the DC hire, just uh, regarding Oklahoma state personnel, Lamont Bishop finds out he has exhausted his Oklahoma state and college football in general eligibility. So he had to declare for the NFL draft. I heard Robert Allen talking about it on his radio show. It seemed like there was just some confusion on how everything played out. He thought he was going to have the extra year due to the COVID shortened season. 
He was not granted that. I haven't seen a great explanation as to why. I, I don't know if you have, but no. I, I've been looking. I haven't really seen an, a full-on explanation. He has just said that he's unable to compete again in Oklahoma State and has to go pro. Okay, this is a guy who a couple of podcasts ago after the bowl game, I said if they were going to stay with that two-linebacker system, which we know they're moving possibly to more of a three-linebacker look now, that Lamont is a guy who should be competing for one of those two starting spots with a Xavier Benson, with a Nick Martin, with a Justin Wright, not just a backup linebacker guy. He is a physical freak and someone that I think can make a roster in the NFL, even though he doesn't have a ton of college film out there. I think this is a big loss for the linebacker room going into next season. Yeah, especially knowing that you needed probably one more ready-to-go guy, and I think Lamont was ready to go. I, I would have loved to see a... Justin Wright, Xavier Benson, Lamont Bishop, linebacker core. I think that would have been pretty solid. Um, it is disappointing, and it makes you wonder what's Oklahoma State going to do next. They they are they don't have enough, I don't think, to run that consistently. Now, I would say put linebacker at that spring portal entry kind of priority list, and maybe you know to to the maybe <laughs> disagreement of our our good friend Adam Lunt. Maybe defensive tackle takes a little bit of a of a backseat in importance because you need one less of those at, at most times. So just really fascinating the way all of this has played out. Hate it for Lamont Bishop. And the only answer I have is like, how how is the NCAA figuring this out? And how is it being communicated like that late in the game? It happened with Russell Harrison in basketball. Now it happens with Lamont Bishop. I I don't notice it going on all over the place. It's strange that this is now two athletes for Oklahoma State athletics that we've we've seen this happen to. Yeah, and we had heard some rumors about we thought the rumors were that Bishop was going to be entering the transfer portal when we were hearing that he yeah. may not be back next year. It sounds like what really happened is he was informed after the West Virginia game, the season finale, that he had no eligibility left. He appealed it in December, and then it was recently upheld. So the rumors were more on the fact that he was going to have to go pro because he had no eligibility left rather than that he was going to be entering the transfer portal. So tough to see for him. You know, he was at Iowa Central Community College before he came to Oklahoma State. So I'm sure some of that played into there with kind of the length of eligibility and everything that happened there. But it's it's tough to lose a guy like that who we thought was going to be a major player on the defense. But I think there's still a lot of good guys on the roster. I named off several of them right now. We'll get into more when we get into the depth chart. But just wanted to call that out because I think it's pretty significant. Well, you remember when the Big 12 gave Baker Mayfield an extra year? Like, <laughs> I thought we were handing these things out like candy because it felt like <laughs> yeah. it for so long. And then the NCAA comes down and with, with the hammer and says, no, I, I don't understand it. I truly this don't. In the, this and the Nathan Latou stuff that went on that we talked about previously, it sounds like there were a lot of weird phone calls that happened after that West Virginia game to the Oklahoma State yeah, administration uh, and coaching staff. Yeah, I, I, I've dusted off the tinfoil hat for the, for this conversation, so... <laughs> They're just doing everything they can to figure out who they can mark ineligible for next year. Yeah, I should I should have a side podcast where I really voice these conspiracy theories about Oklahoma State. Do we can best. maybe maybe once every few podcasts we can have uh Cade's tinfoil hat segment and you can yeah. just go for 30 minutes. Cade's conspiracy corner. I like it. I like that as well. <laughs> that was off the top. You can you can have that. And put it on a t-shirt. 
Okay, Cade, are we ready to move into it? I'm ready. The the Nard Dog? Is that what you're referring to? All right. Uh, Oklahoma State has hired earlier this week defensive coordinator Brian Nardo, previously at Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania. Along with that, Joe Bob Clements will gain the title of co-defensive coordinator. He's currently Oklahoma State's linebackers coach. And Tim Duppy will be cornerbacks coach and passing game coordinator. So it'll be very interesting. We've also learned that Nardo will coach the rover safety position, which think of that more as that Iowa State middle safety position. So that kind of all over the place middle safety Dan Hammerschmidt will, Hammerschmidt will still handle the safeties. Greg Minch, Richmond will be defensive line. And like I said, Joe Buck Clements will still be with the linebackers and Duffy will still stay with the cornerbacks. So, Cade, what were your, what was your initial reaction to this hire before you really looked into anything about Nardo? Uh, it was just who? <laughs> and not, <laughs> not with any like judgment. I was just like, I don't think I heard that name. I don't think I know who that is. Um, and I think most Oklahoma State fans probably had that thought. And then, what the heck? Like, I there was clearly some frustration about this uh, on, you know, and, and predictably there was frustration about this online, uh, which is just all the time. But with with him, <laughs> my my first thought was who? And then my second thought was, this feels a lot like Mike Yersich. It feels like somebody that Mike Gundy met and was blown away by. And if you listen to the way Brian Nardo's former players talk about him and people around him talk about him, I it seems like he's just a diamond in the rough. Like I, it kind of seems like he's hung out there, maybe by accident, and and people knew he was kind of this genius, which has been thrown out about him. And, and, you know, he finally gets a crack at a power five school that Oklahoma state historically has done this. Like I, the Mike Yersich example, the parallels are very obvious to me. Um, I also, because of that track record was immediately willing to give Mike Gundy the benefit of the doubt until I watched the tape. And after I watched the tape, they're not, they weren't perfect, but I liked the scheme. I liked that he, eats, sleeps, and breathes it, which is something we also have, have heard. Um, and I, I, I like that he's a young guy. It seems like he would probably be a really good energetic fit into that defensive room now. So overall, I warmed up to it. At first, I was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was the exact same way when I first heard about it. I was actually out of town. I was like, who is this? I had a feeling it was probably someone who ran John Haycock's defense because you that's what you and I had talked about in the last podcast. We knew Gundy had has been enamored with that defense. Even before Haycock's, he he loved the West Virginia 335 defenses, which I know Haycock's is different than that since it's more of a true three safety look there. But Gundy's always been kind of interested in that style and scheme. Apparently, they were going after DK McDonald, who's currently the Philadelphia Eagles defensive back coach. They were up there to meet with him. He is a former John Haycock assistant, and Nardo's name was thrown around in conversation. So they, Gundy and staff were like, let's go meet with him. I know Hammer, after the meeting, had said this guy reminded him a lot of Knowles with the kind of the like his energy. 
his genius, which you mentioned already, the way he just really knows the scheme, kind of big-time X's and O's guy who knows how to teach it to the players. They really liked what they saw, and they ended up offering Nardo the job, and he accepted it. So it was it was almost like they didn't know who he was not that long ago either. So, and the comparisons to your such are funny, not only because it's a similar hire from a small school, but Shippensburg and Gannon are actually in the same conference. So it's very interesting. Gannon has a lot of connections to, you know, the guys that we've heard of before. I know his head coach and Matt Campbell, were at Mount Union around the same time. They have some references there. I believe Joe Burrow's father, Jim Burrow, and and Nardo have some connection. I've seen some quotes from him on the hire. So a lot of you know popular names you've seen kind of thrown around. But before Gannon, he was linebackers coach at Youngstown State for a couple of years, and then the eight years before that, he was at Emporia State in Kansas. He was also at Missouri S&T for a little bit and then was a student assistant and then coach at Ohio where he also went to school. So he's been in coaching now since 2004. And even though he didn't play the game at the college level, he's been involved in it for a very, very long time. And I, I like, has won honors at several places he's been at Missouri S and T. He won the great lakes football conference's assistant coach of the year in 2011. He's had several all American linebackers along his stops. He had um, one. I know at Emporia, they had like 25 takeaways a game <laughs> throughout their, throughout their years there. He's only 37 years old. There's just a lot of good things you read about this guy. And once you kind of look into him a little bit more, it makes sense why Gundy went with this. He was looking for a young, up-and-coming, innovative guy that ran Haycock's style of defense, and he checked every single one of his boxes. The only box that he probably didn't check that he was hoping to maybe have checked is some coaching experience at the FBS level. But we've seen him go with guys who didn't have that in the past, like you mentioned, a Mike Yersich or even a Sean Gleason, I was and find say. some success. So... Overall, I, I I like the hire. I'm very intrigued by it. You and I were throwing out names of guys at smaller schools anyway, not this small of a school. So it wasn't a huge I, I don't know if it was a huge surprise to us after we looked into it really, but I'm uh, I'm very interested to watch more film on him and just kind of see what his defense is overall. I've gotten to watch a couple of games so far, but I want to really get into it before I do the Twitter thread and kind of break it all down. It's it's just a very curious, uh, like I, I'd love to know how those conversations went to where Mike Gundy takes that leap on a guy like that. Not that he doesn't have the, the ability, but he doesn't necessarily have the pedigree. Like it's not, as you said, it's not a hire that you're, he doesn't have the power five experience. He doesn't have the FBS experience. So it is almost the opposite of hiring a Derek Mason who was a, sec head coach so this is a complete shift and i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for those interviews because it had to have been awesome it had to have been like a knock your socks off type of conversation and for that reason i i'm not going to call it a home run by any stretch of the imagination but i think in time much like i thought about sean gleason but we've come to know a lot about sean gleason 
I thought that was a, a dynamic hire as well that could pay off big time down the road. I think this is one as well. His recruiting is going to be really interesting to watch because he is a somewhat young guy. He doesn't necessarily have all that experience. So that's something I'm going to be very curious about. Yeah, I agree. And if you want to learn a little bit more about him and some interviews, he's a member of the AFCA's 35 under 30. Yeah. So there is a podcast from 2019 where it's about 30 minutes long where he kind of goes through his coaching philosophy, some of the stops along the way, what he did at Emporia State as a defensive coordinator. There's also about a I think it's about 50 minutes. Um I think it's also with the AFCA, but it's uh, his kind of going through linebackers, linebacker drills when he was at Youngstown, just kind of putting on a coaching clinic there. That's on YouTube. So if you want to watch either of those, you can kind of get the feel for him as a person and as a coach. They're both really interesting. I got to watch both of them. And then Gannon actually has all of their games, or I think it's almost all of them on demand from last season on their athletics website. So I was able to watch a couple of those. I want to try to watch a few more, try to get four or five in before I do the Twitter thread, but it's been a lot of fun to watch. And from what I've seen and correct me, if you think I'm wrong, and we've talked to our friend, Adam Lund as well, it's almost identical to John Haycock's right. three, three, call it three, three, five. It's really more of a three down three high safety because right. when you say th- three, three stack or three, three, five. The philosophy of that is a little bit different with kind of the three, three, five being the six guys in the box, all fitting the run. And Haycock's defense involves that middle safety so much in the run game. He's involved in the run fits. That's a little bit different than a true three, three stack or three, three, five. So when you think of it, I would think of it more as Haycock's than a true three, three, five, because Oklahoma state we've seen, they did a lot of three down stuff in the past, even with Knowles, which is more of that typical three, three, five. Whereas this, I know the game that I just finished watching right before the podcast was against California university of Pennsylvania where Cowboy tight end Ian and Edenfield just transferred from, they went three high safeties, almost the entire game. And what they do is they move them around a ton after the snap. So it's a lot of fun to watch, but if you want to kind of compare it to a scheme, that is the one. The Iowa State Haycock scheme is the one I would compare it to. So, so who do you think? And I, I might, I might be putting the cart before the horse. Who do you think that you know middle safety is in this scheme? Do you think that's Kendall Daniels? Do you think that they're p- going to try to put their best tackler, best athlete at that spot, or because wh- this this will shift? I would think some guys around based on that alone. Yeah, let's get, I mean, we can get into the scheme and the depth chart right now. We can start with the safety spot. So they call that safety Rover. I'm assuming he's going to continue to call it Rover. So they might change up the safety terminology a little bit because in Oklahoma State's defense, the Rover safety was more of that free safety spot that Jason Taylor played. Whereas the Rover safety in Nardo's defense is more of that middle safety, that kind of do everything guy, which Get on Gannon's team last year, number nine for them. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Their their rover safety led the team in tackles with 91, I believe. So you want a guy who can tackle, who can cover, who can break on the ball, who's just an overall dynamic athlete. And I think you guessed yeah. it. I'm going with that, that 
at that spot, I would go with Kendall Daniels. And then behind him, I'd probably have Ty Williams. So those would be my two rovers at the strike, which that terminology may change, but we're talking about the nickel safety, the one who will line up over the slot. A lot of times think of your Thomas Harper, Sean Michael Flanagan played it at times. I think Trey Rucker is going to be there with Ray Gay behind him. Raymond Gay, the second who we saw play sometimes this year dealt with some injuries. And then at free safety, I would have Lear crawls, which is the Jason Taylor spot. And then Nick session behind him with some other names, you know, Lardarius Webb could be thrown in the mix out there. He may also, I know Adam Lunt likes him more as a, a true corner kind of compared to a Jabbar Muhammad. You could even see a DeKelvian Beeman, another guy who could play corner, could play safety. And Cameron Epps, another young guy, could play corner, could play safety. Those guys, I think, could all be in the mix at some of those safety spots as well. But that's kind of my too deep as it sits right now at the safety spot. I know Pokes Report just released one. Theirs is a little bit different than mine, but that's my best guess for now. Yeah, because I, I know you and I have talked about it. Well, and, as well. and and I love that because uh, I mean, you you should be getting excited as an Oklahoma State fan, knowing that there's an opportunity for Kendall Daniels to be put in even more positions to make plays on the ball. I would say that that wasn't I mean, in Jim Knowles and in Derek Mason's scheme, that was also the case. But if you're being asked to fly around both sides of the field, I, I love it. And I love that for Kendall Daniels. Um, I think it'll put his his talents on display. You named off a lot of guys that a uh, little bit young, a little bit lack of experience, but guys that we believe in. I mean, Lyric Rawls is one. Trey Rucker is one that we have uh, talked about, you know, maybe not often, but we had heard good things and then all of a sudden it pops for him. So it's exciting because I think you have three good options there, two of which we just haven't seen a ton of. So I, I do believe that that, that, you know, three safety, you know, those three safeties put Oklahoma state in a pretty good spot next year. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, before, before we keep going with the depth chart, just back on kind of the scheme, Nardo actually went to Iowa State to study the scheme there with Haycock. Not many people have been invited to do that, and Nardo was able to do that. I, I'm not really sure how that all worked out, but not not only is he copying it based on film, but he has actually gone and learned from Haycock. That's pretty so cool. As we just just a little bit more kind of background on that scheme, it, it's really the it's the three linemen three linebackers and five defensive backs. So they have a S linebacker, which is a Sam or strong side linebacker. That's normally the linebacker you ask to play in space. So think of more of a Xavier Benson. I actually have him slotted at that spot right now. And then the middle safety is the Rover, which we've talked about. So we kind of went back to the three, three, five and the three, three stack teams that'll use their nickel as kind of the strong side linebacker these teams use the middle safety as the extra man against the run. So it really helps out against run pass options, other kinds of offensive schemes where they're putting linebackers in conflict, using that extra middle safety and having three safeties out there at all times can kind of manipulate the offense into thinking they have a look out of an RPO when really that safety is there to kind of take it away, whether it be the run or the pass. And I'll put some examples of that on Twitter. There was one play where, it looked like it looked like Gannon was going to drop into a quarters look or the cornerback was going to bail off 
and the flat was going to be open. Well, the middle safety broke on the flat right off the snap and he picked off the quick out, took it back all the way to the opposite side of the field. So a lot of stuff like that you'll see, which we've seen Oklahoma state do at times. Some of this isn't that much different from what Knowles and even Mason did last year, but they really like to be aggressive. He really likes to be aggressive with his cornerbacks. You'll see a lot of either cover two variations or cover six where one of the cornerbacks is playing tight in the flats. He also blitz the cornerbacks a lot in a couple of the games I watched. Not a ton of blitzing, but the cornerbacks are going to be asked to help out in the run game. They're playing the flats, and they're kind of looking for, hey, do I need to help out against the run? Because with three defensive alignment, you're clogging up the middle, and your linebackers are going to try to make the tackle. And if they can't, they're going to spill the ball to the outside. And I know Nardo really hates the term spill. He talks about rubbing the down block. But the safeties and cornerbacks are going to be asked to really, really be aggressive against the run. So I just kind of wanted to hit a little generalization of the scheme and they will play a lot of man too. I'll put some of that in the Twitter thread, the man and zone, but that's just kind of an overall synopsis of what this defense is attempting to do against an opposing offense. I mean, you, you, you described that like I could see it. And it reminded me of all of those Iowa state defenses that their corners tackled so well, it was so difficult to run on the outside against them. One, it's difficult to run up the middle and two, it's difficult to run to the outside because that whole scheme is designed that way to bottle everything up. And I'll say this print the hats and t-shirts rub the down block. That is maybe the name of my conspiracy corner podcast, because that. <laughs> I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm going to still use spill as my term, but rub the down block is outstanding. And that could be part of our culture here at Oklahoma state. So, yeah. And, and basically what he means by that. So think of like a counter play where a pulling lineman is coming around. So the other lineman will be down blocking, blocking away from the pull. And what the linebacker is being asked to do is come real tight against the butt or the hip of that lineman performing the down block, as opposed to just taking on the pulling blocker head on. And if you rub or come across the butt or the hip of that lineman, you're going to cause the running back to spill to the outside. And that lineman has to make a choice. Does he block the linebacker rubbing the down block? Does he block out on whoever the overhang cornerback or safety is on the outside. So whoever he decides to block, the other guy is going to be free to make the tackle. So that's what he means by rub the down block. And I can show it more on video too. When I do yeah, that's awesome. I do some of the scheme stuff, but he moves around, they move around their defensive line a lot. They'll do, you know, we've heard tight front. They'll move around those three guys, which really makes it hard for pin and pull offensive linemen because they set up and they think the defense is going to line up in some way. They're in a completely different alignment. Maybe the, Maybe the defensive tackle that's been lining up in a three-tech is now outside in a five. The nose is in a zero. Now guys are confused on who's supposed to be pulling here if they thought they were going to be lining up in a different way. So a lot of different ways that they can confuse an offense. And just overall, having those three high safeties, eight-ish yards off the ball, breaking down hard on the run. Offensive linemen are used to blocking Defensive lineman right in front of them or linebackers three or four yards off the line right. of scrimmage, not a safety flying in from eight or nine yards into the C gap to make the tackle. So a lot of cool stuff you can do here. People are going to say it's been don't break and it kind of is, 
but we've seen Iowa State's defense Man. work because they will they'll have all these short, quick passes, and they're gonna force you to do that all the way down the field, assuming you'll make a mistake. And more often than not, the offense is gonna make a mistake. Well, how many games has Oklahoma State played against Iowa State where the offense in that game, like let's let's think about you know a, a season long Oklahoma State's offense. Typically, when they play Iowa State, it is a less than average performance from what you've expected. And it's because it's so difficult to run on them. It forces you into third and longs. And then, you know, if you've got athletes on the perimeter, if you've got good corners, it makes everything so much harder. And I I am like kind of infatuated with it. I'm excited to see how the personnel now can do this because I don't know if Oklahoma state was necessarily, you know, creating their recruiting class for this scheme. I do think they attacked the portal late with this in mind, potentially, but I'll be curious to see if the guys they have now are the type of guys they're recruiting in two years to run this scheme. Cause I would wonder, I would think length at corner would be a, a must have in this type of scheme length and physicality. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and you're talking about the current personnel. You know, there's ways this against certain offensive schemes. There's ways that this can help out the Sam linebacker, that strong side linebacker, who could be Xavier Benson, who we've seen at times get confused in pass coverage. He may he may be a little bit more free to play the run because right. there's an extra safety behind him to help out on the pass. And Kate, we've talked about the defensive line being a weak position. Because you have the safety help, you have got guys coming from all different angles. You can kind of stunt and slant that defensive line, shoot gaps at times even, and maybe account for the fact that maybe that's an, it's not your strongest position, but you've got help on the back end that can confuse the offensive linemen and really help out to make plays, maybe not behind the line of scrimmage, but for short one, two, three-yard gains. So I do think going forward, there might need to be some changes in the recruiting, like you mentioned, but I think this scheme can also work with the current personnel and maybe help out with some of the deficiencies. I think too, some of the split field coverage stuff that they do is going to be interesting. We've seen Oklahoma state do some of that stuff, but I think there might, there might be a lot more of it depending on how Tim Duffy and Nardo see eye to eye on the passing game coordination, but it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but Kate, let's, you want to keep going with the rest of the depth chart? Let we can finish yeah, up sure. the defensive backs. So I've got, or we've got Cam Smith at, on one side, Corey Black on the other, and behind them DJ McKinney and Kenneth Harris, the recent transfer. Some other names in the mix: Jordan Reagan, Kale Smith. I mentioned to Kelvin Beeman and Cam Epps already, but I think Black, Smith, McKinney, and Harris will probably be the two deep there. If I could pick one that might be getting replaced, maybe McKinney isn't, you know, as far along as we think he is since he just was a true freshman last year. Maybe a guy like Jordan Reagan slots into that spot, but I have Smith, Black, Harris, and McKinney right now as my two deep. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I think Cam Smith showed you enough last year to feel okay about it. I, the, the guy I'm most curious about is Kenneth Harris, though. I mean, I, I liked what he was able to do at Arkansas State. He's got good film. Uh, I, I think he might be a guy that surprises. And then I love I love where kind of Adam's going. Ladarius Webb could do 
safety or corner. And he would provide some of that length and athleticism that I was talking about at the corner spot that, you know, I think you have really in droves with Corey Black, um, you know, Cam Smith. I think you are good there, but you add a Ladarius Webb there. You've got three corners over six feet, you know, uh, and and have really good range. I would think that that would do pretty well. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the I think the corner. I think Smith and Black pretty much have it solidified there. Yeah. But if a guy like Harris were to beat out Smith or Black, I don't think that would be a huge surprise because we know what he can. We've seen what he can do on film. He's got a lot of experience, albeit at a smaller school. But it'll be interesting, like you said, to watch kind of how he progresses forward. Now, okay, the next two position groups are going to be really interesting because there's some pretty significant changes here. Really, the main change from last year's defense that we're going to see is instead of really that Leo defensive end linebacker hybrid position, there's now that Sam strong side linebacker safety kind of position that's going to be thrown in the mix there, along with that rover, which is more of a linebacker safety hybrid position. So you're kind of losing that Leo and uh, adding in more of a safety linebacker hybrid, which we saw Oklahoma state have in the past with their star linebacker position. So at linebackers, I'm going to, I'm going to list off three. So I'm going to list off a Sam, a Mike and a will at Sam. I've got Xavier Benson at Mike. I've got Justin Wright. And at the will, I've got Nick Martin. Behind those guys, I've got Donovan Stevens and Jeff Robertson. I I know we need a third one right now. I'm not really sure who that is. I did see Robert Allen had Jaleel Johnson moving over from defensive end to mm. a linebacker spot. I don't know if that's just a guess from him or if that's something he's heard. There's also Chance Clements, who was a former uh, preferred walk-on, I believe, who I've heard good things about. Gabe Brown is another name. And maybe even, I don't think this is going to happen, but maybe even a Colin Oliver, you move him back. I could also see them trying to bulk him up and play a defensive end spot. But he's a guy who, as we go into the spring, I think they'll know a little bit more of what they want to do with him. If they want to play him as one of those three down or move him back into more of that stand-up linebacker spot. I mean, he is a little bit of a tweener, isn't he? He he could probably do both. Like last year, he took a little bit of a step back. That would be pretty bold. I don't expect it, but I'd be all the, I'd be all the way here for it. If you take him off the line though, I don't know who you have to really rush the quarterback, but maybe there's some sort of modification you could make some special package you could have where he is that, that will linebacker, as you mentioned. So I, I like it again. I said it at the beginning. I do think there's, there's a chance that they go get somebody to fill in the depth. I think the starting guys are there. And Jeff Robertson is a guy we talked about last offseason as a potential contributor. Misses the season due to an injury. I do think he's a guy that you'll see this year. So uh, can't forget about him. But I do think you need – you've got to have six. You've got to have at least six. Yeah, I agree. I think – I do think that Xavier Benson maybe could thrive a little bit more yeah. in a three-linebacker scheme like this where he knows he has a little bit more help from that rover safety and from the Mike and Will linebackers. So – it's going to be interesting to see if he can make a big jump this season. I, I believe, I believe on Robert Allen's depth chart, he had him as a backup. I'm not going to go that far yet. I still think he slots in as one of the starting linebackers, but we'll kind of see how that goes 
moving forward. And then the defensive line, there's really only three spots, Cade. So I have that nose tackle spot being manned by either Justin Kirkland or Eamon Oates. I could see Kirkland maybe taking over that spot. I know he's a little less experienced, but they're about the same age since Kirkland took the LDS mission. And just due to his sheer size, I I know you and I talked about him not being the quickest, but at that nose tackle spot, just to be a pure kind of clogger in the middle, I I do like him there. So I, I like Kirkland and Oates at that spot. At the def- at the two defensive tackles or the defensive tackle and the defensive end at DT, I've got Colin Clay or Xavier Ross, and then at the defensive end spot, I've got Anthony Goodlow or Nathan Latou. Now, the one thing here is there could be different packages where if Colin Oliver, Ben Kapinski, Deshaun Brown, guys like that don't move to linebacker spots, that the defensive end replaces the Colin Clay Xavier Ross sometimes and you go with Goodlow and Oliver and Kirkland. Right. Or you go with Latou, Kapinsky, Kapinski and Oates or Deshaun Brown, Kirkland and Goodlow, something like that. So I think I know that may make some people upset because I think a lot of people's complaints were that Colin Oliver didn't get enough snaps. I'm not sure how much his snaps are truly going to elevate if you're going to go heavy three down, which I know Gundy said, they're not going to go completely away from four down. I think you'll still see a stand up on Oliver type position at times in this offense. I don't think they're going to completely go away from it. My my point is, I don't know how much his snaps will really increase due to taking away one of your down linemen up near the line of scrimmage. Right. I I completely agree with you. It makes you wonder too, if they had, uh, if they had a surefire thing at, at nose tackle next season, I think I would feel a little bit differently about the prospects for this year with, with Alan Bowman coming in. I, I might give them an extra win in that column. If you were, let's just say you had a Siaki Ika, you might have two wins in the win column. If you had somebody that you know what you have there. Now, the great thing is you don't need two guys that you don't know what you have there. You just need one. So I love what you said. You need somebody strong. You need somebody physical. And I think Kirkland feels like that kind of late switch in in type of recruit that does fit this scheme. So uh, we'll be very interested to see what he's able to do. It seems like something that Anthony Goodlow could thrive in as well. Really excited and maybe an even un, a little bit under the radar transfer portal guy that uh, maybe enough people aren't talking about, but I think certainly will come come this time next year. So Agreed. And a guy we didn't even mention, Cody Walterscheid, could Absolutely. still be in the mix. Colin Clay could also slot over at that nose spot as well. We saw him do a little bit of that last season. And wasn't trying to be negative about Colin Oliver. He's still going to be heavily involved in this defense. Just as of this moment with only, you know, a few days since the defensive coordinator hire and kind of thinking about how he would fit in the scheme, you and I just don't really have a great idea of exactly what they're going to do yet. You know, I think he's listed at 235 pounds. That's more closer, I think, to a linebacker than you would say to one of these other defensive tackles when you're looking at, Clay and Kirkland and Goodlow, who are all 290 plus. So we'll kind of see how it moves forward. But I'm not saying that Colin Oliver is not going to be a huge piece of this defense. He is and he should be, especially as he continues to kind of develop his game to move into being a 
big time NFL prospect. I think this defense actually gives him good opportunities to make some tweaks, changes, improve on things he maybe not be as good at. Like we've talked about his run stopping defense as he moves forward with Nardo and into this scheme. So I think it's going to be really interesting, but that's kind of our too deep as we see it right now, heading into the spring. Now we know they could still land a couple of guys next Wednesday on signing day. I don't think they're going to land anybody on defense, but maybe, and they could land or lose people out, out of the transfer portal when it opens back up in May. So this isn't the, the roster we think is for sure. The depth chart we think is for sure going into the fall by any means, but this is our best stab at our way too early for spring defensive depth chart. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I think there's going to be at least one new transfer portal edition, but who who truly knows? That's just my gut feeling on this, but I'm excited. You know, we got a ton of questions about it. We'll get to them later, but I, after having talked through this with you, it really does start to make sense. Um, the way the roster is built currently, I think they've got guys that can run, can run in this scheme I think there will be growing pains, no question about it. But uh, I, I overall, I like it. Yeah, and I, I want to watch a little bit more of his games. I've heard that he's not super aggressive blitz-wise, which could be a little bit of a change from what we've seen yeah, from Knowles, sure. even with Mason a little bit. But honestly, in that in that Cal, Cal University of Penn game, he brought a lot of corner and a lot of secondary blitz. Now, there weren't many... Five plus it five was pretty much the max on the blitz. So there wasn't a ton of like six man blitzes or anything like that. Like some of the crazy Knowles blitzes that we saw in the past, those kind of heavy cover, cover zero blitz packages. But there was some interesting things like blitzing the cornerback from the boundary, which is something Haycock does at Iowa state all the time. I actually found a Iowa state blitz where they sacked Taylor Cornelius, I went back and found one weak side corner from the bound or corner from the boundary. Looked almost exactly like a blitz they got a sack on in that California University of Penn game for Nardo's defense at Gannon. So I'll put I'll definitely put that clip up there. But Love a lot it. of interesting stuff. We'll dive in more. Ask us any scheme questions you want on him moving forward. It's kind of hard to break down every little piece of a defensive scheme at once. So if you guys want to ask specific questions, we can definitely dive more into that. And like I said, I'll obviously do the Twitter thread breakdown later on. But okay, that's really all I had on the on the Nardo hire. I, I'm excited about it. I know people are going to think we're drinking orange Kool-Aid, but anytime you hire new? an unknown guy like this, how is it not exciting? I know. What's new, though? I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, you probably could have predicted the way we would have reacted to this hire. You and I are not you know, dusting off the pitchforks, maybe our tinfoil hat, but not the pitchforks. I, I will reserve judgment until I'll call it the seventh game next year. That's when I'll start to really either get happy or get nervous, but it'll, it'll take a while to, to break this in. Um, and I agree with you. I like scheme changes. I like new, new blood. It, it is fun. So uh, if you can't have fun, then what, what are we doing here? So <laughs> All right, kid, you want to move into just a couple of quick kind of spring football transfer portal notes before we hit recruiting? Yeah, we might as well. Awesome. So a couple of just quick notes. On Pokes Report, I saw that they now have listed that there are two scholarship spots open. So I believe the Pokes will be looking to sign at two guys, if, if that is actually correct, next Wednesday. And, Cade, finally, 
that syncs with my scholarship count. So I don't know what happened on on Pokes Report's end, but now they finally sync. So I thought I was counting something wrong, but I, something got messed up along the way. But I You're have a numbers guy. Spots. There's no way of that happening. So I have two scholarship spots open as well. We found out that Sean Michael Flanagan most likely is not returning. So we have taken him off. Hunter Woodard, who we talked about as well, we've taken him off. He, I don't think Hunter ever officially came out and said anything, but his uh, fiance, I believe now wife, Morgan Day, announced it on there. We've seen it kind of announced in some other spots. We went ahead and took him off as well. So two scholarship spots open. Alan Bowman is now on campus. Ian Edenfield is now on campus. And Josiah Johnson, who we thought wasn't going to come until the summer, has worked some things out, and he is now on campus. So all three of those guys, we talked about last podcast, all the enrollees, but we hadn't heard if Bowman, Edenfield, and then obviously Johnson were on campus yet. We've heard now that they are all three on campus and ready to rock. Yeah, two tight ends on campus in the spring. That's pretty big time, especially if you're going to see more counter, you're going to see more inline tight end packages. That's big time. And I, I got to see a wham block. I just got to see something out of nowhere in game one because you had all spring to figure it out. I, we do a lot to cover Oklahoma State football. I would just love one, you know, hat tip to the Feels Like Forty Five podcast. With, with yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, just absolutely. one tip. <laughs> I, absolutely. Josiah Johnson is an incredibly intriguing prospect. I think is a guy that could probably blow up in the right setting. But Ian Enfield is like is equally intriguing for completely different reasons. I don't think he's going to play the same type of position that Josiah Johnson's going to play. I can't wait to see what they do there. And obviously I'm burying the lead with your, your new quarterback on campus at Alan Bowman. So uh, it'll be fun. I can't wait to see videos start to roll out of spring practice and, and get a glimpse of the new guys. Well, yeah. And Kate, the thing with John, I think Johnson is the right one to call out out of those because uh, my understanding is he only has one year of eligibility left. So if mm. he wasn't here until the summer, he loses a whole spring. That was going to be, you know, kind of, t- I th- still think he would have made an impact next season, but you lose the whole spring, all the spring practices, the spring game, that was going to be kind of tough for him. I think to just get in and get going right away coming from UMass. But now I think he's got a shot to be, you know, at that new kind of tight end position to be the number one guy now that he's able to get there in spring. Yeah. Uh, again, a guy I'm excited about. I think he's, he's more athletic than you would expect. And, um, I'm just excited to see what they do with him because at this point it's just your and I's best guess. So. Yeah. So that, that was all the notes I had there. We can kind of move into recruiting. We've mentioned it a few times now, February 1st, next Wednesday is signing day. Cade and I will be recording after that. We'll recap. We know, we know about Tyke Andrews, Jalen Pope, a couple of those guys who are going to sign. And then we think there'll be a couple of other names. One of those names, Cade will not be, Manny Taimani. Mm. He committed to Ole Miss. I was pretty certain he was going to commit to Oklahoma State, so I was very wrong on that. He is the Ajuco tackle from Diablo Valley, the 6'5", 310-pounder. It sounds like it came down to Ole Miss and Oklahoma State. From from what we've heard, it's it wasn't a great fit for him here. It sounds like the visit didn't go Super well, not that anything bad happened or anything like that. I think just both parties agreed this maybe wasn't the fit for him. And then he decided to ultimately ultimately commit to Ole Miss. 
I personally think it's a big loss. I liked what I saw from Timani on film. It sounds like now they're going to try to go after a high school guy in the 2023 class at the offensive line to kind of fill that scholarship spot. But I was really hoping they were going to be able to bring Timani in. Not that he would have made an instant impact next year. He can't come until the summer. But I was really looking forward to having him on the team after watching his film. Well, and it would have been, I would say, one of your boldest transfer portal pulls because if if you go back three weeks ago when you said it originally, it was like, who? You you even kind of framed it as, I've got this guy, and then he ends up taking a visit. It would have been uh, pretty legendary. So I was disappointed for you, disappointed for the Oklahoma State offensive line. But, you know, surely if it was a mutual thing, clearly it, it wasn't going to work out the way you had, you had wanted it to in the first place. So. Yeah, and and the high school guy I think they're trying to get to replace that scholarship is often Broken Arrow offensive lineman Jamison Magia. He's a three-star, 6'4", 275-pounder. I believe he goes by JMO. Mm. He's in he's in Stillwater for an official visit, and I think we may see a commitment decision soon after. I, he His other offers, I know he has interest from Arkansas. He visited Virginia, but the fact that he's visiting Oklahoma State this quickly before signing day, he's already visited before, so he, he's been on campus before and has decided to come back after visiting Virginia this close to signing day. He's a six foot four, 275-pound interior lineman. I think he's a guy who formerly played tight end and moved i saw from most of his film it looked like he was playing left tackle super aggressive was blowing people up in 6a for broken arrow moves really well he's one of those those adam lunt specials with adam's <laughs> always talked about them, them recruiting these kind of maybe former tight ends that turned into tackles late in their high school career and then kind of bulking them up and getting them in the glass program as we move into college and hoping that by their junior senior year they become a talented enough power five offensive lineman for Oklahoma state. I think that's what this guy is. He's not somebody I think would make an impact anytime soon, but I really like what he saw in film. I don't think he allowed any sacks and he had 88 pancake blocks. According to, according to, I believe it was uh, the Oklahoma all district awards. So a lot of good stats for him, a lot of good film on him. I just don't I don't think he's a name you'll hear anytime soon, but I think this is the replacement for losing out on uh Tiamani. Yeah, I mean you'll you'll take any three-star depth piece you can get, uh, I would say. So it, it makes perfect sense. And I like the offer sheet. I like that he's he's not somebody that they're uncovering first there, there's been some traction with him he's got a couple he's got one power five offer several other group of five offers so i'm surprised it's taken this long truly for oklahoma state to look that way they just obviously had their their kind of priorities in a different order so yeah along with along with him in the 2023 class walter samuel 2023 running back out of east ascension high school in gonzalez louisiana Gonzalez is a suburb of Baton Rouge, so Baton Rouge area. He was on the visit at the same time as Noah Rauschenberg, the Baylor kicker. Oh, yeah. Who I think just recently committed to North yes. Texas. But Samuel is a three-star, six-foot, 200-pound running back, currently holds, at I think, seven offers at least that I've seen reported. So Louisiana Monroe, Louisiana Tech, Michigan State, South Alabama, Southern Miss, Tulane. He was committed to Tulane, decommitted, 
about a week before the Michigan State offer. Then he took an official visit to Michigan State, has not committed there, is my understanding. So they're looking. You and I have said we think they're going to add a young running back, whether that be JUCO or high school, before this class is all said and done. His 40 time is listed at 438. Not sure what that was clocked on. I don't know if it was an iPhone or a laser or what, but 438 is blazing fast. He looks to be a pretty solid running back on film. I, I liked what I saw. He's East Ascension is at 5A school. So we'll see how that kind of goes. And they also offered Utah running back Sacy Vallali. He's 5'11, 190 pound, three star from Salt Lake City West High School in Salt Lake City. He's currently the number uh, 173rd ranked running back by 247. Like I said, 5'11, 190 pounds, over 1,000 all purpose yards the past two seasons. He only carried the ball 32 times for 240 yards and five touchdowns, but he also had 607 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. So he averaged 19.1 yards per touch every time he got the ball. So pretty, pretty amazing there. He's another guy who's got some nice moves in the open field. He had a pretty cool jump cut that I saw. So, that's what they've been doing in the 2023 class. I believe they've they're also hosting uh Muldrow wide receiver Trendon Collins, but former son of former Oklahoma State basketball player Terry Collins, but he's just going to be a preferred walk-on. So that's what the 2023 class is looking like. My guess is they'll land one of Vahali, Valali, or uh Samuel at running back, and then May Magia at offensive lineman, and that'll be a wrap on 2023. Yeah, very interesting. They continue to hammer Utah. It's like they they want kids out of Utah. Benny Benny Tonga. I mean, it's like almost, it feels like every fifth offer is somebody out in Utah, which I love it. Those guys can play football, but uh, it's just, it's, it's cool to see. It's, it's off the beaten path. And then real quick note, you know, you and I don't really go super far out to 2024, 2025. Normally we try to stick to the most recent class. And <laughs> this would be as a long podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as 2023 wraps up, we'll move into 2024 heavy. But I did want to make one note. Rodney Fields running back out of Southeast High School in Oklahoma City, which is 5A, committed today. 5'9", 187 pounder. He's not ranked right now on 247 sure he'll grab that three-star rating. Yeah, you know it. He led the Spartans on the ground this season as he rushed for 1,147 yards on 107 carries. So that's 10.7 yards per carry and 17 touchdowns. He also had 480 receiving yards and five touchdowns. Watched his huddle tape. He's exactly like he sounds at 5'9", 187, just a speedster out of the backfield. That can move a little bit after contact, but he's great in the open field. He He's also, like I said, very tough. He played middle linebacker as well for Southeast. So he joins Josh Ford, the tight end from Stillwater, as the only two commitments in the 2024 class. He was just on campus for an unofficial visit this past weekend. There were several in-state prospects there. So good news. I, I know it's a not it's a not-ranked guy, but it's great to get in early on an in-state running back like Rodney Field. So I'm pumped to have two in-state guys as the first two commits for 2024. You don't want to lose those guys. No, absolutely. And kind of the the type of running back that Sean Tyler would have been, uh, it, an interesting prospect, no doubt about it. 
I will be curious to see where the focus is in 2024. It's got to be defensive line, like maybe number one, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I, I think they continue to hammer that in the portal because even at the May period, if they were to lose a guy and a scholarship opens up or something like that, I still think you could go grab a defensive lineman, even if it's not a guy who's going to make an impact next season, but more of a project piece, like a guy who transferred as a freshman. Right. I think just adding really anybody, I think you got to continue to look at that. But you got to remember too, if they're going to go to this true three down, they might take some scholarships kind of away from that position group as they're kind of removing that Leo piece out of there. Yeah. Throw them back to the offensive line if you have to. We'll see. <laughs> It'll be interesting. All right, Dustin, let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right, Dustin, welcome back. Let's pivot completely. Uh, Oklahoma state basketball. It's been a up and down year, quite frustrating, but this last week, Obviously, the most recent game, the loss at, at Texas, the number seven team in the country. Before that, though, you take down a top 15 team in Iowa State at home. You take down OU in Bedlam. You go two out of three at home, and then you come back to a team in Ole Miss with a losing record tomorrow night on Saturday in Gallagher-Iba. So I think we said this at the beginning of this stretch three out of four would be really good. And if they can get a win tomorrow night, you start to all of a sudden feel pretty decent about where things stand, but this is a light, you know, if there is such a thing as a lighter part of the schedule in the big 12, it's now. So they've, they've got to win these games that they have, you know, started to win. Yeah. And in the, those two victories, you just talked about Avery Anderson steps up, big. I mean, you know, he's named big 12 player of the week. First OSU player, to do that this week. It's also found it interesting. It's the first time Avery's done it in his career. I thought for sure he would have at least been named that one other time, but you know, has really good games in both those games after kind of struggling. And we know he had the wrist injury hits a couple of threes in that Iowa state game. So something we hadn't really seen him do at all in big 12 play. I, I thought he was great in those two. You get season say to come back a little bit i know he's not playing a ton of minutes he got in for a little bit in that ou game and i think he had like 14 or 15 minutes in the iowa state game but then he goes down again and you see the impact that has in the texas game but it was really nice to pick up those two wins after going on a three-game losing streak in big 12 play 
Now they've got Ole Miss in the SEC Challenge, and they get OU again in Bedlam next week. It They just got to, I mean, if they can keep doing these, win one, lose one, win two, lose one, I think they still have a real shot at making the NCAA tournament. Is that too far? No, it's, it's crazy how much that this last week kind of pivoted the, the t- potential trajectory of the season. I mean, the next three games are all very winnable. You you have Ole Miss at home. You have Bedlam on the road. I don't know if you watch Bedlam or not. Oklahoma State is the, the better basketball team there. They are far more athletic. Um, you heard Doug Gottlieb on Sports Animal uh, say just as much after that game. And then you've got TCU at home and then Texas Tech at home. So that right there is four very winnable games. The only ranked team you play is TCU and that's a Saturday afternoon game, little revenge game on Rondell Walker, perhaps. This is the stretch right here where Oklahoma State can start to get that record maybe turned back on the right side of things. Because right now they're only eleven and nine. They're they're still, uh, I believe, three and five. Not without looking at it, yeah, three and five in the Big Twelve. This is a chance. Like let's let's say you win another two out of three here that's all of a sudden four out of six. Let's say you sweep the next three, which you might be favored in both all three of them. This is a big chance for Oklahoma state. They, they've got to at least win two. Something else interesting in these last three games is Woody Newton into yep. the starting lineup. He gets his first start ever in the bedlam game. And then he starts the next two pretty, I mean, pretty solid performances. I've been pretty hard on him, but pretty solid performance in the Bedlam game with 12 points at Iowa State. He puts in nine, kind of fell off a little bit in the Texas game, not really getting a lot of shots up. I think he only had like three points, did did still have a few rebounds, but Caleb Boone also been very consistent throughout these three games scoring-wise. So Really, the only the only player that's kind of struggled outside of Bryce Thompson, who's been dealt with some injury issues as well, missing a lot of that Iowa State game, is John Michael Wright. Yeah, he's just he's had a tough go of it lately. And we talked about earlier in the season when he's playing well, it boosts this whole team. So if he can kind of get things back on track, if they can get Cisse back from this injury, like you said, I think these next couple of games, Ole Miss, OU. Even TCU, if they're back to full strength at home, could be winnable games. If you win all three of those, you're in a really good spot by that point. You're looking at five at five in Big 12 play. And then you have Texas Tech at home, who's the worst team in the conference. And they, I don't think they have a conference win yet uh, unless they no, they're they're 0-8 in the conference. So just take care of business like right here. This is this is the stretch. Because if you don't, I hate to just keep looking ahead, but this is the Big 12. We get to do that. The players don't. It starts to really tighten up a little bit. You've got Iowa State on the road. You've got Kansas at home, TCU on the road, West Virginia on the road, K-State, Baylor. You, you, this is where you need to kind of – if you can get to seven wins in conference, I think you are, have a shot to get in the NCAA tournament. But I think you're going to need to beat like a KU or K-State – for that, you know, resume boosting win that I still think Oklahoma State's they've only got one of them really. Do you think they have to win three of these next four? Ole think, Miss, OU, TCU, and Texas Tech. Yeah, I think if I think if they 
split it and go two and two, that would be disappointing. I, I do yeah. think so. I think TCU is a good basketball team. They just went and pummeled Kansas and Lawrence. I think Oklahoma State still matches up well with them. I, I, I just think that Oklahoma State's guards uh, can give them enough issues. So I know we're not previewing TCU, but yes, I would say three out of four would be the expectation. But Dustin, that would literally be <laughs> that would be seven out of their or like six out of their last eight, seven out of their last nine, something like that, <laughs> which would be quite the tear. So <laughs> if you look at if you look at their stats and Ken Palm, though, if you look just on the defensive column, you know, seventh in adjusted efficiency, yeah, they're elite. They're 29th in uh defensive three-point percentage, sixth in two-point percentage, they're 15 or sixth in block percentage. It's just they're top. 15, 20, 30 in the league in almost every one of these advanced defensive analytics categories. It's just whether they're shooting well or not that particular night and whether Musa Cisse is playing, whether they they have a real shot to win a game. So if Cisse can fully come back from injury, if they can stay healthy and continue just kind of shooting okay, like you said, I think they can pull off three of these next four. Yeah, and it could be that they, like, let's say they drop Bedlam. It could be that they have to get three out of four and just defend home court. Three out of your next four at home. Like, that's a big deal. You got to take advantage of it. But I'll go. I'll kind of go back off the schedule a little bit. If Oklahoma State is going to do that, if they're going to get to where they want to get to, they have got to have more out of Bryce Thompson. Have to. I mean, he's still kind of doing, riding the roller coaster of, you know, four points, 16 points, three points, nine points. You don't know what you're getting out of him. Avery Anderson, you could say the same thing, but even he seems to have, uh, I mean, with nine assists, I believe it was against Texas the other night, it seems like things are starting to slow down for him a little bit. Yeah. But if, if this team's going to get to where they want to get to one, they got to get Musa Cisse healthy and two Bryce Thompson has to, has to be better. And I said that about John Michael Wright earlier. Until the Texas game, I mean, I know he went off for like 18 points in that game. So if he can start turning it back around like that, that would be big time. But but you're right. I I think you got to get more consistency from Bryce. If Woody Newton's going to be playing this many more minutes, it would be great for him to be kind of go back to what he was doing the two games before the Texas game and not just give you three shots, three points in 27 minutes. I think some of these guys, maybe you got to start shrinking the roster even more. You know, Keon Williams hasn't given you a lot lately. When Moose Cisse comes back, if you're gonna play Woody Newton more, I know it's not the same position, but maybe you don't play Cisse or you don't play Smith as much. You keep Caleb Boone and Cisse out there, or even rotate them in and out, and play more of your Asburys and your Newtons in with your Andersons, Thompsons, and John Michael Wrights. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Boynton does, kind of as we move even farther down into the meat of this big 12 schedule. And when Oklahoma state really has a chance to make an impact, get in the tournament, what he does with the, with the roster and how he utilizes it each game and how he rotates it. Well, it's, it's so interesting too. Woody Newton could be an X factor this season. Obviously Bryce Thompson is that right now, but if, if Bryce can figure out a way to like make things simpler and just go get 10, just go get 10 every game, figure out a way to do that. Oklahoma State will be much better off. But Woody Newton has picked up some of the slack. Like he is scoring points and he's had at least nine in the last three games. He's played 27 minutes in all of them. Uh, 
I love what I've seen out of him. Now he still does some silly things, but I think you'll live with that because of what he's giving you offensively. He's making kind of the hustle plays, which is not something I expected out of him. But if he can just like continue to own that, I do think Oklahoma state's got a chance to, to go on a run and he will be a big part of why. Yeah, I agree. And again, like I said, I was, I was wrong on Woody earlier this season. I, I thought he should play less minutes and he's actually looked good gaining more minutes. Yeah, no, we were we were all wrong, like literally all of us. So all of our listeners, you, me. So it's all good. B- big chance for him, absolutely. Yeah, and Cade, before before we move on out out of basketball, I did want to hit just two quick notes that aren't related to this this specific team. Brandon Garrison, McDonald's All American. So the Oklahoma State prospect coming in next season, the six nine Dell City dominant big guy was named to the McDonald's All-American team. So that joins a list of former Cowboys such as Byron Eton, Kate Cunningham, Jawan Evans, LeBron Nash, Marcus Smart. Some pretty big names to be included with was named to that All-American team. And it's a, it's a pretty big honor and just makes a makes Mike Boynton and Oklahoma State's recruiting look even better when the guys that they recruit get these big-time honors ap- even after they've committed and signed. Well, and so... It's now what Mike Boynton's third McDonald's All-American. If you if you count Bryce Thompson in that, he's he's acquiring so much talent. But I, I think Brandon Garrison could be a game changer, not in the same level of Cade Cunningham, but I do think he's here's my bold prediction. He's going to be the second best McDonald's All-American that Mike Boynton has ever recruited because that dude is a freak. I like that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to say anything else on Brandon Garrison because I want to end it with that too. Yeah. Cause I really enjoyed that. I just, he apparently he can hit the three. Now he can step out and hit the three dribble past you and rock the rim. Like he's, he's also six ten. So uh, I, I, I told you this on the podcast. I think I saw him at an Oklahoma state baseball game last summer. And I was like, I don't know who that is. But he's with Mike Boynton, and he needs to be on this basketball team. It was Brandon Garrison. So, no, that's awesome. And then the last little bit of news is uh, Elijah Moore. I believe he's announcing. Is it tomorrow? Yeah, his commitment. I think so. I think it's tomorrow. So he's the four star from the Bronx, twenty twenty four shooting guard, top one hundred player. His final list included Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Alabama, Syracuse, and Miami. Six four, one hundred seventy, one hundred seventy pounder. Sounds like it's a Syracuse lean. Yeah. But he did come to Oklahoma State for an official visit, so they might still have a chance. I'm not super optimistic about it. It would be a big-time get. Mike Boynton is from that area, as we know. So maybe he could sway him into it. But I think it's going to be Syracuse. But just wanted to mention it because I think he's going to announce tomorrow. Yeah, I I think it's Syracuse. It sounds like they're kind of uh, wooing him as well. He's one of the kind of last remaining really good players on the board, which Eric Daly was one of them, and Oklahoma State already got him. I do wonder if there's maybe a little bit of overlap. I know Elijah Moore is kind of more of a wing, but I know that they're going to put Eric Daly out there as well. So uh, who really knows? I think it's Syracuse, though. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Okay, you ready to move on to some miscellaneous sports for the G- end? Give me that miscellaneous sports action. <laughs> All right, baseball. We haven't really talked a lot of baseball yet. Wanted to mention a couple of interesting things for baseball. Robin Ventura, 
is going to stay on the Cowboy baseball staff. He was formerly a student assistant, which we know he was finishing up school. He's now a volunteer coach, which was previously the position held by Matt Holiday. So just wanted to mention that because it's awesome to have one of the greatest, if not the greatest college baseball player of all time, continue to be on your staff and now just as a volunteer. So the fact that Rob Ventura loves Oklahoma State so much, I know he has uh, family members, children that went to school there. You can tell he just really loves the program, the university. I know he cooks out his his tri-tip steaks for the guys all the time. Just seems like a really cool guy. And it's amazing that he's coming back as a volunteer coach. Hopefully, you know, Matt Holiday will come back. We know he left, we left his former position, but Robin Matura being back on staff is nice. Well, I mean, everything you said there is great, but you you rock with tri-tip? Because you should, if you don't. I just I want to get that out there. Apparently Robin Venturas are the best in the world. So is, is what I, I saw this on OSU Max. He's from Santa Maria, California. I've been to Santa Maria, California. If I mean it's tri-tip for breakfast, lunch, and dinner out there. So it's <laughs> it's cool that like he's brought that here. And having been there, I've been there like three times in the last 18 months. It's it's that way. So not what we're talking about. We got a different podcast for meat talk, but it is great to have him. <laughs> still in this program a hundred percent so oh the meat i guess <laughs> that's one you'll need to subscribe to meet me talking pot boys <laughs> <laughs> oh man we have one other note one other note on cowboy baseball actually two two other quick notes so the the cowboy the big 12 coaches poll has the cowboys second behind tcu they had there were only one vote behind TCU as well. So, the, you know, they finished in the three-way tie last year for second place with a 15-9 and nine conference record. So the coaches are predicting them to finish second again behind TCU. We've seen them at the top of, of the, a lot of the polls so far this year. And then they had multiple players on the preseason All-Big 12 baseball, te- baseball team, including transfer pitcher Watts Brown from Long Beach State, the dirtbags of Long Beach State. He was named both... Big 12 preseason pitcher of the year and preseason newcomer of the year, as long as it being a unanimous selection on the all big 12 team joining him or Nolan McLean as a utility player was also a unanimous selection. And then Marcus Brown and rock Riggio were also all conference selections. So we know about rock. We know about Marcus. We know about Nolan three, three of our favorite players. I think I may be the biggest Marcus Brown supporter of the OSU fan base. If anyone wants to battle me on that, feel free to jump, jump in the DMS. Yeah, I'm ready absolutely. whenever. Absolutely. But Cade Watts Brown, we knew he was going to be good, but preseason big 12 pitcher of the year. Good. That honestly was a little bit of a shock to me. And I tried to look into him right when he transferred. I knew he was a really, really good player. I just thought this was kind of a surprise and a pleasant surprise. Well, no question about it. When we talked about it, I, I was a little surprised as well. He comes from Long Beach State, though, which is a perennial, you know, power on the West Coast in baseball, Um, did some great things there. And it puts Oklahoma State in a position, too, where, I mean, if you're right behind TCU, you're in a good spot in this preseason kind of landscape. Obviously, Texas is going to be good. Texas Tech is going to be good. It's going to be a competitive conference. But I, I like what Oklahoma State has. It's going to be the depth in that in that bullpen as well. You know, with Cale Davis no longer with the with the uh, program, they're going to have to find some more arms. I think that we may not know who they are yet. 
Yeah, and it sounds like McLean's going to be moving into the starting rotation, so that'll be oh, interesting. Wow. I know, I think that's something he wanted to work on before moving to the pro ranks, so that'll be cool to see him go from closer to starter there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Cade and I will get into baseball heavy. You know, I'll be watching every game. I'll try you know to do it. clips as much as I can, so we'll get into that. And then, Cade, before we move into questions, softball, uh, Kelly Maxwell and Rachel Becker, the Purdue transfer, were named to the USA Softball Collegiate Player of the Year watch list. There's 50 players on that watch list, so it's awesome to have two players on that. We know about Kelly. Rachel Becker batted 429 last season for Purdue. So she led the Big Ten in batting average. She's going to be awesome in the infield for the Cowgirls. And another preseason poll has the Cowgirls at number three, the USA softball preseason poll. So now they've been in the polls I've seen there, number three in that one, number three in ESPN.com's, number two in Softball America, number two in the Big 12 conference preseason poll, number three in D1 softball. And yeah, that's it. So either number two and number three in every poll I've seen that I that was able to list out. So pretty awesome. We're pumped for the Cowgirls as well. We'll definitely be talking them. But Kate, I think I think that's all I've got. Well, we should have stopped the podcast right there. Softball is going to be fun, man. They are going to be good. That Kenny G can recruit like the lights out. So oh yeah, be fun. they're going to be a ton of fun to watch. If you can make it out to a softball game, I would highly suggest that they are a lot of fun. You can drink some beers out in the outfield on the on those decks they built out there. You can stand above the dugout general admission. You'll you're definitely gonna see some football players, some baseball players there. Mike Boynton's always there. I know the Cowboys Cowgirls golf coaches are always there. So a lot of people and a lot of OSU athletics people go to these games. So it's a lot of fun to just hang out with that crew and watch some awesome softball i mean they're going to be one of the most televised college softball teams this year as well which you you gotta love that the exposure for that program is outstanding all right let's get to it we got a couple of voice questions here's one from lou hey fellas big lou here welcome back to the uh to the podcast world i feel like it's been quite some time two questions number one uh, how long, how many years do we give Mike Boynton to turn this around in more of a Scott Drew situation where Scott Drew was a great recruiter, but just could not, you know, get it done. Um, are we, do we expect Mike Boynton to get there? And if so, how many years are we expecting to wait for that? And the second question with the nerd dog hire, uh, hopefully you're fans of the office to get this reference, but Every time that the defense gets a turnover, are we as a fan base going to yell "red it did to do" at the top of our lungs? All right, guys, uh, have a blessed day. Thank you guys for doing the podcast. Talk to you later. Go Pokes. I mean, Lou, if you want me to do that, uh, I'll drop my cash app in the description, and you can pay me to do that. But that's the only way I'm doing that. Yeah, we'll have to bring out Broccoli Rob for that. <laughs> yes, well done. I, I do think the first question is one we've gotten before, but we haven't, I don't think we've addressed this one yet this season. I think we talked about it earlier at the beginning of the season on coach Boynton. Kate, I mean, I guess, let me throw out a scenario. Do you, I think that's the only way to really even talk about this question in, in hypotheticals. If the Cowboys were to miss the NCAA tournament this season is next year, a hot seat year. And the problem is, before I hand it back over to you, the fact that Boynton keeps having these amazing recruiting yeah. classes, and he just had one of his best ones ever in the 2023 class. So what, do, what, what is your answer to that? Say they miss, they miss the tournament this year. 
is next year a hot seat year or is it if he misses the tournament again? So two seasons and then that third year would be the hot seat year. I, to me, I, I'm I'm not really sure how you look at it just with the recruiting classes coming in. I know you've got to grade the on-court performance, but it makes it so tough with all these recruiting accolades and these guys coming in and then guys being drafted high in the NBA draft. I think with Mike Boynton's tenure, you cannot discount the things that have that have been out of his control. The postseason ban, COVID, this is this has been tumultuous at best. And I don't know if all of that is on Mike Boynton. Agree with you that it is about on-court performance, but I think it's two. I think it's two years because I I I think they're going to make the tournament this year. Like I I do think they're going to be on the bubble, but I think they're going to get they're going to win the games they're supposed to win, and then they're going to get that one that pushes them over. And I think that's either a Kansas at home, it's a K State at home, but they're going to get there. I think, and I think that that quiets things down. But let's say they don't. I still think it's this year, next year, and then that following year is the is the kind of do it or don't do it year because they're going to be young, Dustin, next year, and they're going to have one McDonald's All-American, but it's not a Cade Cunningham situation. They're going to have lost guys like Avery Anderson, Caleb Boone potentially. This is going to look a lot different next year. Caleb Asbury, I think he gets next year. And I think he gets the following year as a, okay, it needs to get better. Because if not, then you can't just keep doing that. But I think he recruits so well um, that, Lou, if we're, if we're drawing comparisons to Scott Drew, we're giving him 15 years because that may be how long it takes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when people make that comparison, I'm always like, that was a real long leash. But, <laughs> I mean, he, you know, there was there was a lot of things Baylor was going through at that time as well. So, that's that's understandable too. Well, but then Baylor started going on runs. They started getting into yeah. the Elite Eight. Like Agreed. And and the Nardog nickname, just to I know we made some jokes about the office. I'm fine with that nickname. I, I love the office. I love Nardog. It's an easy nickname. So that's cool with me if that's his nickname. Yeah, absolutely. Great one, Lou. Thanks. Here's one from Zach. Hey guys, this is Zach Rowe here. I was gonna ask a question about uh the nickname Nardog for Brian Nardo, <laughs> but the real question is, and I'm going to shout out Cade Webb on this one. Is it really only heartbreak for us Dallas Cowboys and Oklahoma State mm. fans? I mean, it seems like every year we get our hopes up just to have the same hopes broken at the end of the season. Just want to know if there's brighter days ahead <laughs> or if I should plan for more heartbreak. Let me know. Thank you all. <laughs> Uh, Zach, I would, I would, uh, plan for more heartbreak. So if you need to run to the store for supplies, I, I would, because here's the deal. Uh, Dallas at this point, Dustin, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Don't worry. Yeah. I was going to say, Zach, thank you for the question. I'm going to let Kate take the Cowboys. Dallas, they have been so much this way for so long <laughs> that I'm not going to expect a Super Bowl or championship run until it happens. That's a really sad place to be. But for Oklahoma State, that's not where I am. I do expect championship runs because they make them. So the heartbreak is really more on the Oklahoma State side for me than it is the just utter disappointment and disbelief at the Dallas Cowboys. Like, to me, I... 
Zeke's contract is an albatross. It's either cut him or restructure to just pennies on the dollar. But they they don't have a franchise quarterback, I don't think. Zeke's contract has to get reworked. And uh, frankly, I think the general manager has a lot to do with the things that are going on at Dallas. So that's that's my opinion, Dustin. And that was talking Dallas Cowboys with Cade Clem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our third podcast, along with the meat one. <laughs> yeah, meat talking pod boys is our is our <laughs> other one. We we got a network launching here. All right, here's the last one. Hey guys, it's your boy Evan from Stillwater. My question for you guys is so how would you feel about a football jersey based off of our native turquoise jerseys? I think it'll look pretty cool, but what do you guys think? Thanks. I love it. We're all so, over the map here. And thank you, Evan, for the question. I like that one. I've seen the Photoshop. I think it's of Spencer Sanders, right? In yeah. the turquoise blue. Yeah. So I I'm I'm not a huge fan of that color on the on the basketball uniforms. I just think it looks weird with all the orange. Again, you're talking to someone who's colorblind, so I don't know what I'm talking about talking about colors, but I don't I don't love it, but I think it would be cool to try for maybe, you know, a game like as a cool retro jersey. Now, if you're asking if I think it should be like one that's in the rotation, I would personally say no. I do obviously not saying anything about about, you know, the Native American culture and stuff like that, more just the color on that jersey clashing against the orange. Yeah, the 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 meaning behind the jersey is fantastic. The actual piece of cloth is not my favorite and would really not be my favorite in a football uniform. I've seen the Photoshop too, and I also feel it's like I looked terrible. I also football. felt like I saw like a Microsoft Paint version of it, and for whatever reason, when you said that. I thought of what I thought was a joke on Twitter, but maybe I have seen like an actual like good looking one. Here's what I really think. I think they're getting new uniforms next year. So there's something to potentially be excited about or let down by Zach back to you. <laughs> yeah. I love the, I love the question though, Evan, cause it is interesting. They may try to do that for other sports outside of just basketball. Do the girls do it for soccer? Well, I was going to don't do they not do it for softball. Did I make that up in my head? I don't think I've seen it for softball, but I want to say I've seen the girls do it for soccer. I could be wrong. It's it comes out. It's it's part of that Nike in seven, right? And that yeah. Lindy Waters is really involved with, which which is really cool. All that stuff is awesome. So, oh, I, I I'd, he, I'd be down to see it. He shoots, he scores. They do have them for softball. OSU men's and women's basketball programs, as well as its softball team. That is okay. That nice. Is what it is. So, okay, cool. So yeah, I, they may branch out and do it in other sports. I'd be fine with it. as like I said, like a single game, but I wouldn't want it to be in the rotation. Yeah. Could you do it in like a maybe more subdued way? Like I, I would love maybe a black one with turquoise hits or like a black helmet with a turquoise stripe, something yeah. a little yeah, bit yeah. more toned down for me. That would be cool. Or even maybe like the stripe down the middle of the white helmet, like the black, the middle part is instead of white is turquoise. It's exactly like what that. I'm thinking. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That would be cool. White Jersey turquoise number look exactly like the Carolina Panthers, but that would be okay. I, I think we do the least Jersey and uniform talk of like all the OSU podcasts on our podcast. And we just went like way long. on that question. <laughs> 
We really have not talked uniforms since we started this podcast. We used to talk about it, but now it's all good. (laughs) Other people got that covered for us. Yeah. Thanks for the questions, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's it on 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 audio. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to Twitter. Our first one comes from our good friend, former podcast guest host, and frequent Oklahoma City traveler from Houston, who I think he's going to be here this weekend. Our guy at Randy D, that's me, Randall Dryden, sends in with the Nardo hire. He seems to be an up-and-comer innovator. What do you expect to change scheme, recruiting style, et cetera? Thanks, Randall, for the question. We've talked a lot about the scheme stuff. I tried to even, Cade, correct me if I'm wrong, I tried to go through a couple of things that would be different than this year's scheme, and we can go, go into them even further as we talk about them more but I think recruiting style is a good spot to hit. We hit it a little bit earlier. Basically, you're replacing the Leo, the defensive end linebacker position, with now more of a safety linebacker hybrid position because you're doing – they may not do this. I'm, I'm telling you what I've seen on film from Gannon and Emporia State. They were pretty much strictly – three down like Iowa State they sometimes bring a linebacker up mug near the line of scrimmage they sometimes are bringing more of that Jack Joker Leo player on the field at times maybe occasionally going four down but I'm talking about when Gannon was in the red zone they are still a true three down team and if you do that you're taking away one of those defensive line pieces in that Leo position so it does affect your recruiting style you maybe don't need as many scholarship defensive line defensive tackle, defensive ends, true defensive ends and defensive tackles that you did previously that could maybe, you know, because sometimes we see Oklahoma State recruit these guys that are defensive ends in high school and then maybe they end up being the field side defensive end like a Tyler Lacey or maybe they end up in the Leo spot like a Colin Oliver, Ben Kapinski, Brock Martin, and Brock Martin could kind of do both. So it, it does change your recruiting style there. And on the back end, that rover safety, that middle safety position, you are looking for somebody that is a Kendall Daniels type guy, which I know Kendall Daniels is kind of a one of a kind type player. It doesn't have to be that size, but you're looking for a guy that can play the pass, can come up hard on the run. And that is an incredibly smart football player. So you need, you need to kind of tweak how you're recruiting both the defensive line and players in the backfield, not to mention Kate, a, a part of the defense you pointed out in the defensive backfield, you've got to have cornerbacks that can tackle. So it it is a big, not a huge change, but it is a change. I think recruiting going forward. And I I don't think it's, I don't think it's a huge issue for this personnel grouping and this team they have right now, but going forward, I do think you make some adjustments there. Uh, Absolutely spot on. I can, I completely agree with everything you said and I don't have anything else to add. You (laughs) absolutely nailed it. I'm glad this isn't like a debate podcast. Yeah. You'd be terrible at that. Oh man. We've never done that ever. <laughs> no, but you, okay. you literally like I said a little bit of that and you took it, made it much better. And that's, that's what I think. So, well, thank you. All right. Net, thanks Randall for the question. And I will text you later. <laughs> Next we've got bill. My Nat at bill, my geo guy. He says, if you were to rank OSU sports teams based on their current trajectory, trajectory confidence in the coaches recruiting recent performance who do you put where he said softball is the clear number one to me and everything after that becomes debatable i think you have to have softball baseball up near the top wrestling i know 
recently, you know, with recent chant or recent lack of championships compared to historically. I don't know if their tra- trajectory is so much up. They still have great recruiting classes. They're having a good season this season as well. You can listen to Dynasty Defined. Shout out to our guy Lee for more on wrestling. But I don't think it's just softball clearly by itself at the top. I know that Kenny Gajewski has a dominant force over there, but they haven't won a championship yet either. And I I don't know how with last year and then going into the hype this year, you couldn't have baseball up there near the top. And then Cowgirl soccer also has been really good in recent years. And they've had the same coach over there for a long time. Uh, Colin Carmichael, correct me if that's wrong, Kate. I believe that's his name. He's, He's been there for a long time. And how can you forget cross country? <laughs> you know, they dominate in indoor track and track and field. So I think there's, I think it's more than just softball at the top. I think it's a great question, Bill, but I don't think you can say softball is the clear number one, even though you and I love softball. Oklahoma State's athletics department is still trending up and still has a lot of powerhouse programs in different sports. Well, and that's that's why I actually would not say it's softball. Like if you're talking trajectory. And tennis. If you're talking trajectory, Oklahoma State is ranked number two. So their trajectory is like either national championship or flat, like because they are already there. So you kind of have to look at another program that is maybe a little bit further back. I don't think it's fo- I don't know if it's football or basketball. Like if you if you want me to be really honest with you, I don't think either of those programs, which is what I think probably was, you know, what. That's that's how I would answer that question is it's neither of those two that are pointing up the best. Um, it's probably one of those other programs. I would probably say it's baseball. I mean, I, th- I think they have a good thing going and they've got a good team this year. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next, we got Albert Meza at Cash Money Meza. He says, where are we at with offensive coaching changes? Kale Gundy, question mark. Surely we can't run it back. Kate, as oh, far as I you and I have heard... As far as you and I have heard, there won't be any major changes. Now, maybe some analysts gets added. I wouldn't be like completely shocked if there was some moving around and maybe like one position coach leaves. You know, if a Tim, I'm not saying I heard anything on this, but if a Tim Rattay were to decide to go back to the NFL and a new QB coach comes in or something like that, but it seems like they might just move forward with what it is. I know you and I thought they were going to make a change at offensive line, not just from rumors, but just we thought it might be based on how old Charlie Dickey is, how the line performed, even though we know a lot of that was due to injuries and just kind of how they've recruited that maybe they would make a shift there. But it seems like they may just run it back. I know you and I haven't heard anything that tells us too much. On the contrary, there's still some rumors out there I know we got another question. We will hit it later, but I might just go ahead and mention it now. And then we can just shout out the Twitter handle about Marcus Arroyo. I think with Josh Gaddis just being fired from Miami, that Arroyo looks like he's a contender for that spot. Possibly. I've seen him listed mm. in several articles about maybe joining up with the hurricane over there. So I don't know. Okay. Did I, did I state anything incorrectly there? I absolutely don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that there's no coaching changes. Uh, this is, I would say at this point, the fact that there have not, has not been anything is why I don't think there will be anything. It, it's a little bit late in the game right now to be doing this. Um, and so anything fundamental would be kind of shocking to me, actually. So um, 
And it is shocking that they're not, that they are going to run it back. We talked about this after the season that there's surely no way, but they're going to do it. They're going to change some things. And, uh, you know, <laughs> this is where the orange colored sunglasses probably come on for me. I have to believe that that's the, the, maybe the best decision at the current moment with what they've assessed. I don't believe that Mike Gundy just like stuck his head in the sand and, and said, we're just going to run it back. Like, and, and yeah. didn't assess the, the other factors. No, I agree. Okay. Next we've got Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf. He says, Hey kids, Gundy took about two weeks to hire the, D- the DC. And it got me wondering what are the shortest time frames that it took Gundy to hire at the coordinator spots? I honestly have no have idea no on that clue. one. I haven't, I haven't like looked back on that at all. Sorry, Brian. If, if something comes to mind, I can definitely shoot you a text, but I haven't, I haven't like looked back at where that's ranked on when the season ended and stuff like that. So, um, but he did say also workshopping a defensive nickname, thinking of the junk nard dogs. I do like that for the defense. Oh. That's a good one. You you got I'm telling you, you guys are going to make t-shirts. Somebody's doing it. I but I the, the nard dog thing is off the rails already. Yeah. Next we've got uh Brandon Ramos at Brandon Ramos. Thanks, Brandon, for the question. He's asked us a few before. He said, Have you guys heard any info on if Nardo is a fanatical recruiter? I feel like it's been a long time since OSU has had a coach that's obsessed with recruiting. Someone like Arroyo is the last one I can think of. All I can say about Nardo is Cade mentioned it earlier. All of his players love him. There's been multiple quote tweets about it. It seems like all other coaches like him. If you look at the quote tweets on Oklahoma State's tweet announcing him as defensive coordinator, you'll see a ton of coaches on there. And this guy did not play college or pro football of any kind. He was a student coach at Ohio University and then continued on his coaching career. So he is someone that just loves football and coaching, and it's been his whole life. I think he has to be a fanatical. And I would, I would want to know how, how you're defining fanatical recruiter. Like, are we talking Mike Boynton? Are we talking, you know, somebody who lives, eats, breathes recruiting? Because I don't know how you measure that. As somebody looking on the outside, I don't know how you measure that because – are you looking at stars? If so, I, I would not do that if you're if you're talking about Oklahoma State. So yeah, for sure. That's a great question, though. I, I definitely hope hope he is. I think he is. I mean, he's only 37 years old. I think he has a ton of energy for coaching. And I, I definitely think he will be a great recruiter, especially yeah. with Emporia State being so close to Oklahoma and Texas. I think he's recruited in this area before, obviously at a lower level, but he should be familiar with some of the high schools around this area. Yeah, no question. No question. That's a great All point. Right. Next, we've got uh, Coach Michael Doty at Mike underscore Doty. He says, with a seeming change in scheme to fit more of a three three five base defense, what can we expect from guys that fit the Leo position like Colin Oliver? How can we anticipate this affecting the thin interior defensive line situation? Does this help or does this not change that much? I think we've talked about this a lot, Cade, but kind of we, we hit the Colin Oliver stuff a lot. But to answer the second part of the question, I think it can help here with the thin interior defensive line, not only does this defensive, this style of defense help the defensive line in general with that Rover safety, adding that extra overhang linebacker, mixing around the run fits, mixing around the alignments, being able to kind of slant and stunt different things just to kind of throw the offense off. 
I think also just having one less defensive line spot <laughs> helps out your depth because you only have three spots you can rotate guys around in. You have to remember that Haycock's initial philosophy on bringing this defense to Big 12 football at Iowa State was Iowa State was normally, you know, under the bar recruiting. They were not up to par with the OUs, the TCUs, the Texases, even the Oklahoma States at times in recruiting. And this defensive style allowed him to use strengths from maybe not as talented as big of players to still compete with these big time, big 12 powerful offenses. So I think overall it will help out the Oklahoma state's defensive line situation. Agreed. I, I, for all the reasons you listed. And then for me, it's a sheer numbers thing. Like we were, we were trying to figure out how Oklahoma state was going to field a defensive line with four scholarship defensive tackles. Now you, you might have, as many as you need, maybe one too many for a, a scheme like this. So um, I, I think it's a good thing overall, and, and it does help and kind of changes my outlook on things because I, I wasn't sold that OSU was going to figure out a way to add quality depth in the second, you know, kind of portal phase at the defensive tackle spot. Yeah. Uh, the useless doctor at reading writer was who asked the Arroyo question. So we'll skip that one because we hit it earlier. Uh, Ryan Taylor was the one you mentioned earlier asking us about the prediction for the big news. We've got Flash at Ryan Flashpolar. Kate, I'll ask this one to you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you about the D-line next year, more specifically the defensive tackle position, especially since we just answered one on this. Can you give me a scale of well, 1 to 10? I was pushing the red button uh, four weeks ago. <laughs> so I'll I'll back off the ledge, and I'll I'll call it a 7. I don't, I don't love the... The, I don't love the the pieces at defensive tackle. I don't I don't love the way Colin Oliver played last year. So overall, I think there's a lot to be learned about the defensive line, which means you can't be a five because that would make you feel average. And I don't feel average about it. So I'll go seven. <laughs> I like that. I like that scale answer on that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Greg Bullard at G Bullard seven. He was the one who asked about slotting the current scholarship defenders into the mm. different positions. So Greg, thanks for asking that. We did that one earlier with the depth chart stuff, but you were the one that gave me that idea. So I appreciate it. <laughs> and then the last one is, Oh, we had Matthew Lester say he's got a great question, but he's going to save it for off season talk. He's at Ooh. Matt on the beach. So we'll come to that on later, Matt. We're looking forward to that. And then Mark or twine, at Ortwine says, true or false, Cade, Gundy will look like a genius for hiring Nardo at the end of the 20, 2023 season. False. It'll be 2024. Yeah, I think it's going to take a couple seasons as well. I, I don't think they're going to be bad, though. On no, I don't either. Next year. I just don't think people are going to say genius after one year unless they're like, the best defense in the Big 12. So Which I think would, it would be have crazy. To be, yeah, I think it would have to be two years of a top half of the big 12 defense. And then I think you call it, you call him a genius after that. Shocker, full agreement. We, we agree completely on that. It, it would be crazy to think that they go into next year and that they are a top three defense in the big 12. If they do, he might be a genius. So yeah, hundred percent. Kate, before I send it over to you to wrap up, I didn't want to end it on a sad note, but we did. I did just want to mention that this is the, you know, remember the 10, on January 27th, 2001, this is January 27th, 2023, the plane crash from Boulder, Colorado to Stillwater following the basketball game against Colorado. So not 
obviously not a shout out, but just wanted to bring it up, bring up, remember the 10. Cause I know a lot of people are talking about that on the radio and different things today. So we couldn't be a Oklahoma state podcast if we didn't yeah. remember the 10 and remember the lives of those guys and shout out to their, to their families and everything and praying for them on this day. Yeah. Glad you brought that up, Dustin. It's, it's so ingrained in Oklahoma state's culture. Every year we talk about it, but it's even as it's not, I mean, it's January 27th now, but we talk about it consistently and and we should. Those families have been through a lot and continue to, but uh, the entire Oklahoma State community, I know myself, you uh, lift them up on on what is surely just a, a still to this day, probably a very surreal day. So um, we pray for them and uh, I'll certainly do my part to remember the 10 uh, today and tomorrow and as, as often as I can. It should be a good weekend in Stillwater. Uh, come out for the festivities. I'll be there in Gallagher-Iba tomorrow evening. Uh, I'll try to find my uh, Remember the 10 shirt. And uh, yeah, it should be a good one. So, Dustin, yeah, any final that, thoughts? Yeah. Okay, that's all I had. I know it was a long one, but we took a 10-day break. So we thought we had to come in and, and bring you guys all, all the info we had, even if you didn't want it. We had a lot of wind and a lot of hot air for you guys, just just ready to rock. So you are welcome. We will see you guys back here next week. If you're not already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FeelsLike45Pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustregu. You can follow me at Cade Webb. We'll see you back here next week. Go Pokes. Remember the 10th.